Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 3, Episode 14 of From Page to Practice. Sorry it's been a while between episodes, but when the podcast relies on the voices of teachers, it's important to recognise when that's just going to be too much to ask. However, I'm hoping we can round off the year with two more episodes, starting today with The Complete Guide to Pastoral Leadership by Amy May Forrester. So, let's get started. Hi, I'm Amy Forrester and I am the author of The Complete Guide to Pastoral Leadership, um, a book focused on um, the intricacies of of pastoral care and pastoral leadership, mostly um, in secondary schools, um, which was published um, in March by John Catt Publishers. Um, one of the main things that I hoped to achieve through the book was to to fill a gap that I felt as a practising pastoral leader. Um, there was a real gap in the market for for pastoral leaders, really, and a lot of the texts that were out there um, focused rightly on, on teaching and learning and on curriculum and teacher development, um, pedagogy, but there wasn't really anything that that brought all of that together in a way that's accessible for pastoral leaders and that kind of synthesizes the research and evidence that exists um but also then links that to how we work in schools as pastoral leaders um pastoral leadership is a really really demanding role and it's very um operational <laughs> in in very demanding ways often and it can also be quite a lonely role in the sense that schools tend to only have, you know, somewhere between maybe two and five pastoral leaders. Um, you're working as quite a small team, um, whereas there's more heads of department, more classroom teachers, more middle leaders in, in curriculum and teaching and learning. Um, and I think that the professional development of pastoral leaders sometimes gets overlooked in the sense that it can be quite hard to know what we should be looking for in terms of research and evidence and how that applies to pastoral care. But also the other side of pastoral care is that it's a hugely demanding role in the sense that it it, it really is about experience on the job um, and the things that you learn along the way and the way that you might do things differently or um, the way that you operate in order to be successful. And so what I wanted the book to be is kind of a hybrid of all of that, really. So I wanted to make sure that it focused on on research and evidence, so the basics of what every pastoral leader should know, but also combine that with, with on-the-job experience um, and the reality of actually being a pastoral leader. Um, so as a pastoral leader, when I wrote this, it was very much influenced by the day job, <laughs> for want of a better phrase. It was something I felt that it really needs, something like this needs to be authentic. You can't write about a job that you don't do and you can't write about it with any kind of real usefulness for readers if if you're not doing that job day in, day out. Um, because it is such a really, really demanding job and it changes and it's so fast paced. And so what I wanted to do was kind of combine all of that into um, one book and cover the main things really that um, 
that are important in pastoral care. So I've talked, there's a chapter on um, high expectations, visions and standards. We talk about that a lot in terms of schools um, and school leadership and teaching and curriculum. But what does that mean for pastoral leaders? Um, I've also talked about behaviour and pastoral care, which are very, very closely linked. Um, And the chapter on that really explores why that is and why the two things are so interconnected. And then we've I've kind of focused on some of the other more specific roles to pastoral leadership. So there's a section on attendance, for example, and some of the the really important research um, around that. There's um, a chapter on pastoral care and, and cognitive science and best practice for learning and how we can, as pastoral leaders, be informed by the evidence base there so that we can make sure that what we're doing as pastoral leaders really helps to influence students' learning and, and their outcome because ultimately that's why they're in school. Um, and so a big part of the book is is focused on that as well. Um, and then I wanted to to focus a little bit on leadership because I think there's very, very little written about pastoral leadership as a, as a specific niche area of leadership. So I've taken some of the evidence and research around that and talked about how that applies to, to pastoral leaders. And then there's some, some sections really of just things that you deal with as a pastoral leader that you'll deal with regularly, like common problems, for example, and some ideas um, about how to deal with those sorts of things, but also the demands of the job. So one of the most difficult things um, about the pastoral leader's job is just how demanding emotionally, physically um, it can be. And again, it's kind of one of those jobs where you, you get the job in a school and then you just work it out as you go along. Um, and what I wanted to do was distill some of that um, into into something that people can use. So especially for new pastoral leaders or those wanting to get into pastoral leadership um, or even those that have been in it for a while and just and just need some fresh ideas. It, there's a section on um, on some ways to to survive the job, but also not let it take over your life because it is a job that, that absolutely can absorb every ounce of you if you're willing to let it. Um, so I, I thought that was really important because it's it, it comes down to that old saying for me, you know, when you go on an aeroplane um, and they talk about if it crashes, you need to put your mask on first. Pastoral leadership is exactly like that. Um, you can't look after your kids if you're not looking after yourself. And if you're overworked, burnt out, that's that's not going to help anyone um, in your school. So there's a section really on that because for me, it's, it's absolutely vital for pastoral leaders but also something that gets really really overlooked um so hopefully the the idea was that there's there's a real um breadth of of content of things that I felt weren't always addressed for pastoral leaders um and I hope that through the book that I've I've managed to do that you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast Thanks, Amy, for that really comprehensive introduction to your book. And today's first reader sharing her reflections is Fahana. Hi, everyone. I'm Fahana Patel, and I'm the Vice Principal of a Primary Academy. I'm also the Senko and Wider Curriculum Lead. I've been teaching for 14 years, and I am an active Twitter user. You can find me on Twitter by my Twitter handle, PatelFahana84. We discuss in the book The Complete Guide to Pastoral Leadership by Amy May Forrester. Now, I was very fortunate that I actually received a copy of the book from John Cat a couple of days before it was released, 
when I uh, read the blurb of the book, I was very much interested in what the book would reveal. So I sat and read the book and I actually ended up reading it in one sitting. Following reading the book, I did go back on Twitter and I shared my findings and I put a slight review of the book, really encouraging senior leaders, pastoral leaders, teachers to read the book because it is full of advice, strategies, evidence-based practice and it's really, really current and relevant to all practitioners within an educational setting. So what's great about the book? Well, to begin with, there aren't many books out there around pastoral leadership. This book could be used by primary practitioners, secondary practitioners, settings that work with children. It is absolutely relevant in terms of the content. Also, the book is split up into nine chapters. The chapters are quite short, but they are very much succinct. And at the end of each chapter, there are key learning points and which you can take away um, following the reading of that chapter. So I'm going to discuss with you just two of the chapters that I found really, really useful um, and spent quite a lot of time reading, making notes about. The first chapter is chapter two, and it's around um, visions, standards and high expectations. This chapter really outlines how important the role of a pastoral leader is. Very much like... Um, in a school, you have the visions, the standards, the high expectations within the role of pastoral leadership. These have also got to be very much clear. Now, when you take on a role as a pastoral leader, there isn't an actually a, a guide or a manual that you can refer to. But it's very much a role that is built on experience and you build the expertise as you become involved and resolve situations and work with children. Now, the pastoral role of pastoral leadership will differ from school to school. Um, also, at primary level, you might be responsible for whole school pastoral leadership, whereas at secondary, you may be in charge of a year group or a key stage. However, the expectations are the same. And the book is really good because it guides you in thinking about what type of culture you want to create, how you are going to encourage young people to thrive. It's really important that the systems that you implement within your setting are understood by the senior leadership team, by the classroom teachers and by the children. And when I read this book, um, I really, really liked the section about designing your vision, about really understanding how you can support children and children understanding what support is available so that when they are uh, facing difficult situations, there are adversities, etc. Children know how to overcome that problem and how they know that support is available so that they, continue, that they can actually continue to thrive uh, at a personal level, but also academically. Within my setting, we've introduced a system called the Talk It Out system, where if a child has got a concern, they want to speak to somebody other than the classroom teacher, something's happened at home, they've got a card and then they will post it in a talk it out box. That box is checked by the pastoral leader as well as other people who work within that pastoral team. And at some point during the day, 
they will go and speak to that child and inform them that they will be taken out of class to have a discussion, to discuss the concern and that we have recorded that that talk it out card has been seen. This system actually stops children just leaving the classroom, seeking out a pastoral leader, missing out on lesson time. Also, it's about children understanding that there is a system in place, that there are adults available if they wish to speak to somebody and that somebody will come and speak to them. But it's not a case of leaving the classroom, disruptive learning, disrupting learning and just wandering around the academy until they find somebody who will sit and listen to them. Within my setting, we found that having a system really, really works. We've got to constantly revisit the expectations, remind children of how to use the system until it actually becomes part of the school norm. This section also talks about the importance of assemblies and how during assemblies, it's really, really important that key messages are shared with the children. You build that common culture within your setting and you share those key messages that are important to the children and also the teachers. What I really also liked about this chapter was um, the importance of supporting teachers. You know, a class teacher cannot teach a lesson if there's consistent disruption or a child isn't focused on their learning. Um, this chapter really outlines the importance of the role of a pastoral leader, how they are there to support the teachers not to undermine them, but also to ensure that those systems in place that have been established are followed by pupils and teachers alike. The key takeaway within this chapter is massively around the role of a pastoral leader, how the actions of this leader, the values created um, as part of pastoral care are really, really important and they do feed into the wider school improvement plan and they ensure what the expectations are within your school. The other chapter within this book, which is really useful and effective, is around behaviour and pastoral care. As we all know, if behaviour isn't spot on within the classroom, it can be really challenging for teachers to teach. Lessons are disrupted, um, lots of learning time is lost, and this book really focuses on the importance of good behaviour systems. I like how this book is full of practical strategies. It, there are suggestions around um, how to create student behaviour plans, spending some time getting to know children with really challenging behaviour to unpick what it is that is causing them to behave in this manner, what are the triggers, um, really identifying what constitutes as acceptable behaviour and then focusing on actually modelling to the children what be good behaviour should look like. You know, the book really talks about, you know, you can't expect children to behave if they don't actually know what the expectations are, what your ex what constitutes a good behaviour. There's also a focus on a section within um, this chapter around reasonable adjustments and if a child has got additional needs, how you would react and support that child. Within this chapter, there's also a case study, as there are in many of the other chapters, where a scenario is presented and then that situation is broken down into lots of different sections in terms of what did you learn from this scenario? What would you do if you found yourself in a situation like this? How would you manage it? What do you focus on first? 
The key learning points within that chapter of behaviour and pastoral care is massively around how pastoral pastoral care and behaviour, they both overlap. And as a pastoral leader, you've got a vital role to play um, in terms of managing behaviour and managing pastoral care. It's important that there are clear systems that are understood by children, the staff, the wider community, including parents and external agency. As a pastoral leader, your role is around supporting students, it's around supporting the teaching staff, it's around supporting the senior senior leadership team. And most importantly, the chapter really focuses on ensuring that you hold on tight to those expectations and you ensure that, you know, the needs of the children are met. This book, on the whole, has got lots of information, lots of advice. It's very much based on evidence-informed practice. And it's a book that that most, I'd say, all schools need to invest in. There's a chapter um, focusing on attendance, working with parents, um, surviving and thriving as a pastoral leader. All these chapters provide phenomenal CPD, but they also provide a different perspective. Often, you you can struggle to find answers to certain situations. And this book provides a number of case studies as well as recommended books that you can read if you are struggling within a certain area of pastoral leadership. What's great about this book is it's real. It's about the experiences of Amy, who is a pastoral leader, who has faced a number of situations that most of us who work in a pastoral role can relate to. I absolutely love this book. It's a book that I have at my desk at work. I'm constantly flicking through it. Um, I share it with other leaders within my setting to read when they are um, struggling with suggestions and ideas or if they've got a particularly challenging student or parent. And I do believe that by reading this book, it has allowed me to refine my own practice within my setting. So yes, um, I highly recommend that you read this book and hopefully you will get as much out of it as I did. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Fahana. And next we are going to hear from Kristin. Hi, my name is Kristin O'Flynn and I'm an English teacher in a large non-selective secondary in Oxfordshire, where from September I'll also be Deputy Head of Post 16 Pastoral. Our school has, up until now, only had one deputy head of sixth form, and this new role was created in response to our growing numbers, but also the increased need for greater pastoral support. Now, that's perhaps in response to the pandemic, but I think also it's because of the growing pressures our young people are experiencing. My previous management experience in school was as a head of department, so I was keen to do some reading and be guided towards more relevant research for my new role. I followed Amy on Twitter for years as an English teacher, so I already knew about her complete guide to pastoral leadership, and I found it a really interesting and engaging read. 
It's written in a very approachable style. It's easy to engage with. The tone is that of a supportive colleague talking you through an issue or a concern, but also it's very much backed up with relevant research. And so I know that it's a book that's already been useful to me, but that I will continue to go back to and will probably find lots of different areas that I can go on and do further reading from. The areas I'm most interested in at the moment are those that I can quickly apply to our setting in September. So those areas that relate to buy-in of our sixth formers for their pastoral curriculum and also those areas relating to punctuality and attendance because those are the things I've been particularly tasked with looking at from September. One of the things that Amy does is set out quite clearly what a pastoral curriculum could include. And she talks about planning the shape of the year. So already I've looked at not just what our students will be facing in terms of their mocks and their exams, but also what's going on in the world. So I've got a, a curriculum map that takes into account Black History Month, Pride, International Women's Day. And I'm trying to build in those areas that she's talked about that include general knowledge and cultural capital, study skills and learning, and also character development. For general knowledge and cultural capital, I think it's really important that young people, particularly in the sixth form, as they're so close, for example, to being able to vote, that they have an understanding of politics and topical issues. So I'm going to be trying to use, I think, the Ross Atkins on, I think he's a brilliant communicator, and he manages to, to distill really uh, challenging political and topical issues into these very neatly and extremely well-phrased videos. So we can be using those in form time as the start of discussions between members of the form group and the form tutor. She talks about study skills and learning, and obviously that's huge in sixth form. We need them to take responsibility from their learning from the outset. So again, that's something that we're going to be focusing on, particularly from September. And again, thinking about the pattern of the year when they come up for their mocks and their actual exams. Character development, again, is huge. And we're going to be looking at ways that we can give them both the skills and the opportunities to look at their own personal development and help them to succeed. Now, one of the things that I've also been asked to look at is punctuality and attendance. And one of the phrases that I've picked out from Amy's book is this about making attendance tangible. So I think it's all well and good to talk about attendance in terms of percentages. We as a sixth form are aiming for at least 96% attendance at lessons and in school generally. And obviously that's going to be regularly communicated to parents. But I think we need to phrase it in a way that makes it clear that that isn't just an abstract percentage, that that actually links to lost learning. So 90% in lots of things is really good. But 90% attendance actually means 19 days of absence across a year. And framing it in that way makes it, I think, clearer to both students and parents why it's so important that we have such high expectations of their attendance because we need them to be in school so we can teach them. One of the things that Amy talks about in the book is nudge theory, and I thought that that was really interesting. This idea of nudging people, guiding people towards making the right choices and doing the right thing. So nudge theory suggests that you set goals, and if we set goals that are realistic for our students and our parents, then we can potentially get them to respond by avoiding the aversion of not meeting that goal. So if our goals are really clear, hopefully we should have people not wanting to fail that goal. 
And in terms of attendance, our nudge theory could be phrasing things using positive reinforcement. So one of the things Amy talks about is um, studies carried out in dentistry where they found that if you send out a general reminder, it has much less of an impact than messages that include positive reinforcement. So instead of saying, Mrs O'Flynn, you've got a dentist appointment tomorrow, don't forget to come, they're phrasing things in terms of people who regularly attend their dentist appointment need fewer expensive dental treatments later on. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow. And if we can phrase our attendance in that terms as well, students who are regularly in school or students whose attendance is above 96% go on to meet their expected targets, then hopefully that positive reinforcement can make our expectations clear, but also give students and parents that positive nudge, that positive reinforcement. Another area I'm keen to develop from the outset in September is developing relationships with parents. So this is an area that Amy focuses on the book in quite a lot of detail, including how to have difficult conversations. Um, she references um, a Harrison Goodall study from 2007, I think, that says that genuine interest in their education and support is what students value most, rather than those um, key events like attending parents' evening. So I think it's important that we make it clear to parents that the way they talk about their students' education and the way they show an interest is hugely important. And I think one of the things that Amy references is the value of listening. The value of listening to parents and making those initial points of contact. Now, it might be that as a pastoral leader, sometimes the first contact you have with a parent could be around a negative. Either you're having to contact them or they may be contacting school with some sort of complaint. And I think it's really important that we start from a, a perspective of listening to them and hearing their concerns. So if a parent contacts school and says, we don't feel that our child is being fully supported, we listen to understand why. Because that complaint, my child isn't being supported, may actually mean my child is experiencing difficulties and I'm not sure how to cope or how to deal with it. Or my child is expressing to me that they're finding things difficult and I'm coming to you as the school because I need a bit more help. And I think if we listen and we also take on board wider aspects of context around the parents' own experience of education, for example, their experiences of the school in a wider context, then we are in a better place to help meet those parents and, more importantly, those students' needs. I think we need to view engagement with learning as a really important factor. So one of the things I'm going to be looking at, taking some ideas from Amy's book, is about engaging with parents in a positive way first and making sure that they see that I'm someone that they can come to. And hopefully by getting those positive messages out, by engaging with them in a positive way before we have to have negative conversations, that they can see that all we as a school are trying to do is work with them. Because actually, our goal is the same. What parents and pastoral support and all teachers in schools want to do is get the very best for their students so that they can succeed and thrive. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Kristen. And next up, we're going to hear from Niall. Hi, my name is Niall Daly, and I'm an English and History secondary school teacher from North Dublin and the Republic of Ireland. I'm currently working and teaching in the school in North Dublin, and I have been there since, uh, since the school opened a few years ago, and we're currently heading into our fourth year. And I've also been fortunate enough to be a form tutor during that time, Previously, I'd been a form tutor in many other schools around Dublin, and I also spent some time in a school in West London for a few years. My Twitter handle is Niall O'Daly, and that's N-I-A-L-L-O-D-A-L-Y. 
and today I'm going to talk about how I have taken the complete guide to pastoral leadership and some of the initial ideas I've put into practice in the last while, focusing specifically on chapter 6, which is working with parents. The book has been a really great find. Uh, I'm delighted that Amy May has put it together because it has provided so much insight and into different approaches that one can take, some of the research behind that, and even some ideas and tips for maybe practicing and rehearsing things before you do that. And in particular in chapter six, when it comes to dealing with parents, some of the kind of scripts and the modeling ideas that she gives about how to prepare oneself for talking with people at home would be very insightful and would have been a great thing to have uh, at the time I was in NQT. I'm delighted to have it now because it reinforces some of the things I've learned through experience. And also think that as, as we grow as practitioners, It'll be a great thing to have on hand and to dip back in and out of as a text. The book has a wealth of research that really gives a nice guidance and a nice idea about what kind of things are important and what matters. And chapter six was no different. I found that there were many ideas that were really, really useful. Chapter six deals with a considerable amount of the ins and outs that most of us would expect with dealing with parents. We constant contact home some students more than others and I think you become more familiar with certain families and certain parents for a variety of reasons. One of the things that's really great about this chapter is how Amy May gives that nudge towards approaches that a person can take in order to maximise contact with other families and other communities to make sure that everyone is not sort of isolated and restricted or kept away or, or things and, and by that I mean that we don't view anyone as uncontactable or that we don't neglect to contact people. And I found that some of the suggestions that she had throughout the chapter were really, really strong and backed up by very, very key core evidence. I found that the DeForge and Abishar paper that she referenced, the one from 2003, is very useful about ways we can support and promote parents continuing to take an interest in student aspirations and education, ways that we can promote actual meaningful things that can be done and ways that we can notice students and ways uh, from both angles from both parents and from school and that tied really neatly in with one of the papers she mentioned from Goodall and Vorhouse in 2011 and about how we shouldn't just equate involvement in school life uh, as the only proxy we shouldn't just see that as the only way that, that families and parents are, are actually connected to a school or invested in their students and in their children's interests. Or What you have is that we're all partners in wanting to actually ensure that students succeed and we want to meet the families where they are and meet the students where they are and to try and ensure that we can help and support them. So there was a few little nudges and ideas suggested and in my own practice I found a couple of nice ideas that came up in this chapter and it just gave me that little spark for the last couple of weeks of school before the summer and just reminded me about little things you can do. And one of the things that I found really important and really uh, sometimes we forget to do it is about how to really notice and provide positive recognition for students. There's always those kids who are at risk at maybe not drawing our attention enough for the things they do. Maybe they're not always the high flyers in every little area or in one area. Maybe they're not the ones winning the trophies, but similarly, they're the ones that go in and they put in the work day in, day out, and they're doing everything. And so there was a reference to about how you can make that small little contact home and what it would mean to families and how you could establish connection there. 
And so I know I took it upon myself to send more emails home and to make more phone calls home each day for the last couple of weeks. Even though I was quite busy, I made it a bit of a non-negotiable for myself to try and reach out to everybody and then to look back and see which families maybe I haven't been putting in as much effort with or which students that, while I might acknowledge them and say thank you, maybe I really haven't taken the time to notice them as much as I should have and the things that they do and their achievements and their consistency, which I think is a really lovely thing to be able to talk about with families. And what I found was it had a very immediate impact in that the students, their demeanour in class, some of them who, well, we've always had very good relationships, very strong relationships, and I'm fortunate that way. We've had others that suddenly came a bit more alight. They really appreciated how much we noticed that. And I think that also helps down the line that I know now that I've established a base of contact with pretty much every student that I deal with on a very core level in a pastoral role. And I think it's something I'm going to take forward as, as I move on as well. And as I gain other form groups in the years to come, if my role expands in any way, I think it's a really important thing to be able to have that positive recognition and to establish that relationship. And I think it'll add a little bit of, it'll add a significant benefit rather to if we ever do have to make those phone calls home when things don't go quite right. And it'll establish a much better working relationship between us and the parents and whoever else is at home. And I think it will just create a more open, transparent communication between the school. And we don't always have to be contacting them every single day and we don't have to be on their case about everything and we don't have to be over the top and it's the same both ways. They don't have to be constantly in touch with us. But I think we like the idea of having a nice clear line of communication, one that if the parents need support from us, if we need support from them, that it's another avenue to explore as well as our relationships with the students. And the book has really, really re-emphasised how some of the simplest things that we can do within our power are sometimes the best and have the, the largest amount of impact that they can have on our day-to-day -day practice. Uh, it was a really thoroughly enjoyable book. There's so many chapters you could go into detail over and I know that it is definitely one that I'm going to see use for over the years. I would wish this book was around when I was in NQT. I'm glad that it's around now and I'm delighted that I have a copy that I can keep dipping in and out of because I really do feel that coupled with the research and the case studies and the basic ideas, the book really gets to a core idea of what everyone can do as a pastoral leader and that pastoral leadership is not just confined to certain people in key roles but that everyone from the form tutors to the class teachers that every one of us can play an active positive role in establishing pastoral leadership within a school and I really think uh, I really think it's one of the better things I've read in a long while and it's definitely uh well marked with notes at this stage and it's definitely going to be a book I'm going to be recommending for others to read uh, and that's whether you're teaching in England or the Republic of Ireland or in any other system uh, any of the references to key stage or other sections are, are well very very useful they're not going to prevent you from gaining insight and use out of these texts so again an excellent book highly recommend it and chapter six in particular was one that in the prior few weeks and months really stood out to me and I look forward to diving back in and out of this text over a long period of time. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you, Noel. And if you're regular listeners, here's two voices that you'll certainly recognise. It's Dave and Rhiannon. Hi there, my name's Dave Tushingham and I'm a lead practitioner in a school in Bristol. 
Hello, my name's Rhiannon Rainbow and I'm School Improvement Lead Maths for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. And today we've been reading The Complete Guide to Pastoral Leadership, a compendium of essential knowledge, research and experience for all pastoral leaders in school by Amy Mae Forrester. And this book um, I found was incredibly important to firstly um, connect and combine the ideas um, of pastoral leadership uh, with academic success. So um, there was so much in this book that, that really helped me to support my students as, as a lead practitioner. So somebody not in a pastoral leadership role um, particularly, um, or sort of specifically, I should say, um, I was able to pick up so many pieces of information um, and things to try that would, that would help me in my everyday um, job. And, and that was really, really important for me personally. But um, as pastoral leaders uh, read this book, there's going to be so many um, takeaways um, and, and thoughts and reflections um, to have, um, which can really help support the students that, that you serve. Um, the the part that I really focused on was the difficult conversations because that was really relevant um, for my own practice. Um, and, uh, and that's with colleagues as well as parents and, and what you can do to really um, support the success um, of, of sharing a, a collective message um, and um, having people on board, but being able to talk with humility um, and owning any mistakes that you make. Um, I think these are really important points in the book um, so, so that those conversations are true um, and, and can have um, foster that genuine progress. Um, one thing that I really picked up from the book was the, the need for planning and scaffolding, um, just like in a lesson um, where, where you might sort of want to have that conversation and, and want it to go well, but, but sometimes uh, we walk into those conversations and we maybe don't plan to the same level as we might do in a lesson. Um, and, and that need for meticulous planning and, and understanding exactly what we want to say, when we're going to say it, why we're going to say it. Maybe the idea of um, allowing um, the parents to, to go first in the conversation, introducing yourself with the first name. It's those little little things in, in the book like that, which just really help you to, to, to really start to picture what it might look like for you um, when you have that conversation. And, and just the suggestion of taking someone with you um, in that conversation sometimes to be really open um, to that support and that scaffolding, to, to rehearse with somebody as well um, that conversation before you go into it. I think um, it really helps to give me that confidence to, to go in and do some of the, 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 the everyday jobs which maybe I'm, I'm less comfortable with ordinarily. And I think it's really helpful to have somebody share their advice their experiences with others to 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 have that conversation like um make me think like the middle leadership mastery book that adam robbins wrote for to help support middle leaders it's it's condensing that knowledge and experience and and trying to help others so that they're able to develop and gain that i suppose more quickly um, because this takes a long time to to accumulate, um, and 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 it was really helpful when we had our session with Angela um, Angie Brown um, a little while ago with the book club when she talked about that actually our pastoral leads have built up these relationships and these experiences and these techniques, skills, and approaches over a long period of time. And how can we best utilise that rather than it being in the people who are in the pastoral team who are doing that? How can other people benefit from it? And, you know, Amy's been incredibly generous in putting this book together and sharing that. And I think it also helps to 
helps to raise the awareness of it again and, and give it that shared language and that, that, uh, that understanding so that we can have more stakeholders in schools involved in that process. Okay, well, if, we, if you're going to have difficult conversations, how could we look at framing that and making it an okay thing to talk about? And as you said, to reach out and, and seek that support and that help. And when it was talking about and, 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 and looking at what Amy wrote in the book and, and what you were saying just then, Dave, it reminded me of um, a tweet recently by Adam Boxer when he was talking about giving feedback to interview candidates and how he scripts what he's going to say. You know, I think that process, that significance, that giving it that priority in, in your mind before you go in and allowing that space is, is a really important part of it, as you said, to, to make those connections and, and understand what it is you want from that meeting or that challenging conversation. And it's um, the, the conversations that you have, um, it can be um, really difficult when you're maybe feeling a little nervous um, or, or maybe your focus is on that conversation going well. Um, your, your interpretation of going well being that it's, um, it's going to be something that feels positive. Actually sort of turning it to, to what's the impact on learning for those students as well. It's, um, it just really gives those practical ideas of, um, of sort of how you can go through um, those, those conversations. There's a section here about um, getting parental um, feedback can be an excellent way of informing your actions as ahead of year. Um, and so, so asking questions like, how are they getting on with your schoolwork? How much homework are they getting? Um, what are you doing at home that works well with them? Those sort of positive conversations, but really specific questions that you could ask, um, I think, just that really support um, in the book, as well as sort of referencing to where calls might go wrong as well um, and, uh, and talking about how you might deal um, with that and what you can do to, to preempt and to, um, to, to turn a conversation into that positive one that we talk about. Um, the, book, the book talks about lots of other places. We won't have time to talk about it all, of course, but um, it talks about uh, behaviour. Really, um, I feel it recognises that warm, strict approach um, to, to behaviour, um, how, how we all... Um, want a culture where, where we don't have the excuses for the behaviour, but at the same time we want to offer as much scaffold and, um, and support for those students so that they can get it right as possible. Um, and it's how we go about um, doing that. And again, the book, I think, offers some, some practical strategies um, around what you can do um, to really support um, your students, the way you can sort of you know, have those conversations, the idea of uh, nudge theory, which also we talk about in, in terms of attendance um, as well, when we were reading the attendance chapter, um, hopefully we'll get some time quickly to talk about that too. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's got, it's got a lot of great ideas of what you can do to, to really help your students um, from, from a pastoral leadership lens. Yeah, and I think I, I really like that it's acting as that bridge and it's being really, um, it's connecting the pastoral and the academic and that they're not separate and that it all works together and it, 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 it brings those links in all the time. And as you say, attendance is a really big part of that. So it would be good to to uh, uh, talk about that briefly if we can as well, I think, because it, it it's integral to what we do. Um, absolutely. And and reading the book after sort of reading some of the other chapters, I was really excited to to read it. And um, and of course, um, there's no silver bullet um, to it, but it, it just made me think about um, that sort of nudge theory, the idea of um, that positive uh, reinforcement, the, the sort of implicit suggestions you can give um, through a conversation. Um, it reminded me that 
attendance is is important, but it's messy as well, and and it's always going to be complex. And and so it's again about really sort of actively listening and and getting to to know the students that you work with and the parents and the communities. And if you've got a small community, um, maybe sort of looking for that um, support outside as well, and and seeing how you can sort of build a community. Um, it just um, really, really made me think about relationships and, and some of some of the other literature that I've read too. Um, like Anne Watson, for example, and Care in Mathematics, and and sort of how how to go about um, sort of those conversations, how how you actively listen to somebody, and um, and I, th- I think that was the the key takeaway for me was to to ensure when I'm engaging in conversations with uh, students with staff is it's making sure that I'm actively listening so that I can make some really informed decisions on on how I can support them the best. Yeah, I, I'm really grateful to Amy for, for writing this and the time she's put into it because pastoral is something I don't have as much experience in. So this is a really helpful gateway and guide that I can dip into and I can use and I can help to inform what I'm doing when, when, when I am working in that field and when I am um, building in those areas as well. So it's just it's just really, really helpful and I highly recommend it. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's been a pleasure talking again. Um, and uh, and my my absolute takeaway um, as I go back into the classroom now is to, um, as it says in the book, critically review how you work with parents. That's something I'm uh, going to be really thinking about um, very specifically. What what we do in um, in terms of um, positively engaging our parents so our students have the best chance of success. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Amy, for writing. Um, it's been a yeah, wonderful conversation. And thank you, Ree. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you both for your contribution once again. Now there's only one more episode left before the summer and this is the Revision Revolution. So please get in touch to contribute if you have read it. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode and bye for now. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>